Amen. Let us go to the Word then. If you have your Bible with you, you can flip backwards to the Old Testament, and we are headed to the book of Isaiah. If you need a Bible, feel free to grab and keep a Bible from back there at our welcome table. And if you find Isaiah successfully, you can begin moving to Isaiah chapter 7. It is Christmas time. Christmas celebrates for us that moment in human history when God sent into a hopeless and dark world one who would bring hope, one who would bring light, one who would bring nearness and relationship, reconnection to God the Father. Isaiah is an Old Testament book of prophecy written more than 700 years before the very first Christmas, but even though it is so old, it very much contains within it, as we will see over the next few weeks, the promises of Christmas to come. Uh, Isaiah himself in chapter 6 experienced God's amazing love and God's holiness in such a profound way that he literally in his own life dropped everything and said, here I am, Lord, send me. I want to use everything that I am, every day that I have, every opportunity, every relationship, every ounce of my voice to share with other people the good news of your love and of your truth. And his experience, like many of us in his own day, was that the vast majority of people that he spoke God's word to would not listen. But there were many who heard and who believed and came to experience the love and the goodness of God the Father. Here in chapter 7, near the, the early parts of the overall book of Isaiah, Isaiah is speaking specifically to the king of Judah, a man whose name is Ahaz. Not Ahab, but Ahaz, A-H-A-Z. And Ahaz, like all of us really, all of us who are here this morning, all of us in the world, Ahaz has a decision to make, which is essentially this, will I continue to try and solve the problems, the challenges, the issues in my life on my own, all alone, or will I allow God to be God in my life? Will I let him in? And so the question for us this morning as we reflect upon this passage here in Isaiah is, will I trust God or will I trust myself? Will I choose to remain alone or will I let God into the inner recesses of my heart and of my life? Hear the word of God this morning, chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 1 all the way to verse 17, this conversation between God and Ahaz through the voice of the prophet Isaiah. Verse 1, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sheer Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Ramalia. 
because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Verse 7, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he, that is Isaiah, said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Verse 14 that we heard earlier, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria." Thus far, the reading of God's word, let's pray together and ask his blessing on his word. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that it is powerful. We thank you that it is true. It is without error. And Lord, it applies just as much to us today as it will tomorrow, as it did 700 years ago when this particular part of your word was first written and given to us. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are soft to receive your love this morning, Lord. Remind us of your goodness, Father, regardless of what we may have brought in with us this morning, Lord. We pray that you would speak into this place by your word, that your Holy Spirit would lead us this morning. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Two ways this morning, that we can choose to live our lives. The first we see in verses 1 through 13, which is us without God. That there really only are two choices, and what we see here at the beginning is us without God. In the first two verses, I suggest to you that what you are seeing is what I'm going to call the squeeze. What is taking place here for Ahaz is uh, a really, really bad day. Ahaz is getting squeezed. How so? Well, have you ever had someone very close to you, a friend, maybe a family member who has betrayed you, who has promised to do this thing, but then behind your back does this other thing, and in some way or form or fashion, somebody that you love, that you trusted, has now hurt you? This is what is happening in the moment here for Ahaz and for his country that he leads, the country of Judah. Very quick history lesson for you. In 930 BC, after the death of King Solomon, God's people have a, a nasty divorce, a nasty split. And one country, the nation of Israel, splits into two Israel with its ten tribes in the north, and Judah with its two tribes in the south. 
and that is the present situation. Now, it is exactly 734 BC in this passage that we have just read. And what is taking place is for the first time, Israel is betraying their brother Judah by joining forces with an evil neighbor that they both can't stand by the name of Syria. But the reason that Israel and Syria together are really doing this is because there is a much bigger enemy on the horizon, a nation by the name of Assyria, not to be confused with Syria. Uh, So if it were a playground, you can imagine that Judah and Israel are brothers, they get into a fight, they get mad at each other, and Israel goes and grabs another kid that neither one of them really like named Syria and says, let's beat up my kid brother Judah. And the reason that they're doing that, beating up Judah, is really to consolidate power and to show everybody else around, listen, we're in control, so that when the new bully at school, whose name is Assyria, shows up, that we can somehow hope to withstand all of his bullying. But this is not simply a playground scene. This is tens of thousands of people who, in the end, uh, will experience violent death and many who will be enslaved for generations to come. Now, on the surface, for Ahaz, King Ahaz, uh, we could say that Ahaz really is living the American dream. He is experiencing all of the power, the prestige, the popularity that he or any of us could want. But, like many of us, we can identify, Ahaz is sitting on the fence in terms of his relationship with God. And this crisis is going to squeeze him. It's going to open him up. It's going to show him and it's going to show us what is really going on in his heart and he will have to get off the fence and make a decision. Uh, When I was in seminary, I worked at Chick-fil-A. Of course, Chick-fil-A, Jesus Chicken, where else would I work? Uh, I worked at Chick-fil-A and one of the many illustrious jobs that I had was I made the fresh squeezed lemonade. I don't know if you've ever done this before, not at home, but like the industrial version. Um, when you squeeze the lemonade uh, to make the fresh-squeezed juice, uh, it is not a gentle process for the lemon. Right? I, I don't come up to the lemon and kind of talk them through the procedure and then gently massage the juice out of the lemon. No, no, no. I take an extremely sharp knife, I hack the lemon in half, and then you press it up against this massive machine that shreds and rips every last ounce of juice and pulp out of it to get to the fresh-squeezed lemonade. And what is going to happen here is very much that. Ahaz is about to be squeezed. And if you understand my meaning, I prayerfully would say, I hope and pray that you this morning, by God's word, would experiencing in a fresh way God's squeezing. That he would use circumstances, both good and bad in your life, for your good and his glory, for you to determine, will I get off the fence? Will I continue to try and do life my way by my plans and my organizational principles, or will I trust King Jesus? Now, immediately into this moment, after the squeeze comes the promise. God repeatedly is going to make his promises to Ahaz and to his people very clear. If we go back to the beginning, verse 1 says that Israel and Syria tried to attack Judah, but they could not do it because God would not allow them to do it. Isaiah wants us to know from the very start that this threat will vanish. There is no need to panic. God is with his people. In verse 2, Isaiah calls Judah the house of David, which is a somewhat unique way to talk about them. 
And the purpose is this, sometimes we need God to remind us who we are and that who we are is based on whose we are. That their identity is secure, that who they are is secure because God has said, you are my covenant people. I have made promises to your father David that apply to you. You are my forever family. And God says the same thing to you as well. If you are in Christ, you are mine. I have adopted you into my forever family and I do not break promises. I am not a friend or a family member who will ever betray you. I will be with you forever. So if we go back to the playground scene, this is the dad showing up saying, don't touch my kid. This is how God loves his people. In verse 3, God says to Isaiah, I want you to take your son, Isaiah's actual son, I want you to take your son with you uh, to go talk to Ahaz. So there's multiple conversations between Isaiah and Ahaz. Uh, I mentioned this before, but once again, if uh, you are pregnant and you're looking in the baby names book and nothing is just standing out to you, the Old Testament is just so filled with amazing names that I would love to see someone in our church adopt. So Shire Jashub, that might be the name, boy or girl, that, that you want to name your child. Just pray about it. Shire Jashub means a remnant shall return. A remnant shall return. So what God is saying through the name of Isaiah's son is even if the worst happens, my people will return in victory. Promise, promise, promise. In verse 5, God says, don't fear. Do not be afraid of what he refers to mockingly as two smoldering stumps. He's saying, listen, Judah, do not worry about Israel and do not worry about Syria. Believer, do not worry about those people, those enemies, those who threaten your faith in Christ. For me, they are cigarette butts in my fingers is literally what the Lord is saying. I can snuff them out at any moment. They are no danger to you because I will take care of you. And so in Isaiah 7, 7, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. I am in control, says God. I am here for you, says the Lord. Do you need to hear those words afresh from the Lord this morning? In your circumstances or, or in the circumstances of someone that you know and love and care about, the Lord is saying to you, I am with you. And the harm that your enemies have purposed and planned, I will not let it come to pass. In fact, let me just tell you what is coming says Isaiah on behalf of the Lord. Isaiah says, and this is incredibly specific, and we should take note when the Bible is extremely specific. He says, within 65 years, Israel will be gone. You know that God kept this promise. Within three years of the promise being made, Syria was destroyed. And Israel fell 10 years later after that in 722 B.C. And by 670 B.C., exactly 65 years later, they were wiped out by a historical king named Esarhaddon, who was king at the time of Assyria. So we've got the squeeze. We've got the promise. And inevitably, each one of us is left with a decision. And in verses 10 through 12, we see Ahaz communicate very clearly his decision. Isaiah 7, 9, the latter half says this, If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. 
See, God is sovereign and in control over all things, and yet we as humans are still responsible to respond in faith and in belief. R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Isaiah, speaking about uh, the Lord and his voice, he says, if, speaking for God, if you want my support, all you have to do is lean on me. God is attracted to weakness and need and honesty. He is repelled by our self-assured pride. But for Ahaz, the decision was distrust. His decision was, I will trust in myself once again, and I will not put my trust and hope in God. I will not take my hands off of the steering wheel and allow you to direct my life. And Ahaz, like so many of us, pushes God away and says, I don't need you, and I don't want you. In verses 10 and 11, God says again to him, though, if this is hard for you, I'm writing you a blank check. Ahaz, in whatever form or fashion, you would like a sign to help confirm in you that what the promises that I have made, they are going to come true. Whatever you want, as low as Sheol and as high as heaven, ask for it, and I will give you that sign. And Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, to be clear here, this is very pious, very holy-sounding language from Ahaz. It is hypocrisy. He is not interested in hearing from God. And sometimes we can do the same. We can take our lack of faith and our lack of belief in God and make it sound very spiritual. Make it sound very holy, very right, but in reality what is going on is hypocrisy. Understand, guys, it is not testing God to do what he says. God has made his promises clear. Our role is to trust God him, that he will do what he has promised to do and to walk in obedience by his grace. It feels more normal, though, for all of us, certainly for Ahaz, but for all of us. It feels more normal. It feels easier for us to do what we have always done, which is be self-reliant. I got it. I can handle it. I don't need to read the directions. I don't need your help. I don't need advice. Uh, I'm going to do it my way. And this really is uh, putting ourselves in the position of God. We're saying, I don't want you as king of my life. I want me as king or queen of my life. And this is the sin condition that we are all conceived in. Every single one of us, from the moment that God made us, we have in ourselves this sinful condition that says, I don't want God to be in charge. I want me to be in charge. And when we live in an inevitably broken world where bad things do happen and, and sin happens and hurt happens, it can push us here even further. So sometimes it's out of our rebellion and pride where we say, I don't want God to tell me how to live my life. But then on top of that, sometimes it can be hurts or past wounds that we experience in life that makes us go, I can't trust anyone in my life, so how on earth can I trust God? And many of you have been in that exact place. But this Christmas season afresh, Jesus is asking you, will you put your hope in me? Will you trust me? To go back to the beginning, Isaiah chapter 7 and, and verse 2, it says, the heart of Ahaz and, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. If I may this morning, allow me to translate that into Florida for you. 
He's saying, my anxiety and my fear is so high that I feel like I am perpetually living in the middle of a Category 5 hurricane. Have you ever been there? Literally, figuratively, some of us both, yes. I've been there. I know what that feels like. But whether you have known Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior for years, or you have never put your faith in Jesus to all of us, the Word of God by His Spirit says to us this morning, will you trust me afresh? In what ways has your heart wandered to where you have put your hope in earthly things that cannot possibly hope to live up to what God can do? In what ways have you put your hope in yourself? In what ways have you slipped back into sins where you go, I can make my life work under these circumstances, but secretly you know it's not working. I've got to turn my trust back to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, will you come near to me? Will you allow me to come near to to you and do for you what I know you cannot do yourself? I will do it for you. Secondly, the second way that we can live our lives, we can live our lives us without God, or as verses 14 through 17 so beautifully paint for us, we can live God with us. Again, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Who is this promised son? Who is Isaiah talking about? Who is this person who is going to come under such ridiculous circumstances? Notice that Ahaz has now basically said no to God twice, and yet God still mercifully gives the sign. God has not relented. His grace has not ceased. Despite Ahaz's hardness of heart, God lovingly sends the sign. And notice that it is not a lightning bolt to fry Ahaz. Ahaz, come on! Mm. It is not, God doesn't make the, the earth open up in a violent earthquake and all the unbelievers in Judah fall into the earth. He has the power to do that. He has the right and the justice to do it, but that is not the sign that he sends. He says, I'm going to send to you a baby. I'm going to send to you a baby boy, and I'm going to send him to you in the most impossible of circumstances. And here's his name in, in advance. You could also name your, your child this. Emmanuel. His name will be Emmanuel. But then... In verse 15 and 16, God gives us additional details. We all tend to know Isaiah 7, 14. 15 and 16, we're like, what's he talking about? Let's look at those again. He shall eat curds and honey. I have no interest in eating curds and honey. I don't know about y'all. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. These verses hold an incredible promise, and yet they beg the question, who are they talking about? Verse 15 and 16 seem to indicate that the fulfillment of this prophecy is going to take place during Ahaz and Isaiah's actual lifetime, their own day and circumstances. And what we will see is that this prophecy was fulfilled by our gracious, merciful Father God in two ways. That God so often in His Word will go above and beyond to make His purposes and His promises clear. First, 
what this passage is prophesying is the birth of another son, Isaiah's own son, another one of Isaiah's own sons, whose name is, wait for it, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Again, people, if you are having a child, please, please name your son Maher Shalal Hashbaz. I will be eternally grateful. This name means, if we translate it back into English, it means something along the lines of the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. Hmm. The spoil speeds, the prey hastens. Listen to the very next chapter where his name and his birth takes place. So now, moving one chapter ahead, Isaiah chapter 8 and verses 3 and 4. This is Isaiah speaking, first person. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Isaiah's son's birth was a sign confirming that God's promises are true and that the attack that Israel and Syria are planning against you will not happen. And in fact, what I have promised is that I will destroy them and protect you. I will bring justice and I will bring it through the nation of Assyria. God's promises are true. But secondly, Isaiah 7.14 points us to a greater promised son, the Messiah, Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of the New Testament, makes this incredibly clear. Look at Matthew chapter 1. This is the latter half of verse 20 through 23. Joseph, son of David, says the angel, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Which prophet? Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which here it adds, which means God with us. God with us. Us. God has come down to us, says Matthew chapter 1. God is with us. And he didn't come because he had to. He came because he wanted to. Please note the difference. He didn't come because he had to. He came because he wants you. He desires to redeem and to love his people. See, the only one who has more joy at Christ's coming and saving you, the only one who gets more out of it than you, is him. Jesus Christ's joy is made full with the opportunity to come to you and to do for you what you could never do yourself. If you haven't yet uh, begun reading, I encourage you to check out this book, Gentle and Lowly. It has been filling my soul all week, and he describes this same reality. Again, the title is Gentle and Lowly, words that Jesus used to describe his own heart. It's the only place in all of Scripture, Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus tells you about his own heart, the inner workings of his heart, that he is gentle and lowly, that his heart is for sinners and for sufferers. This is from chapter 3, page 36. Listen to how Dane Ortland gives us a picture of the reality of Jesus and his experience in coming down to be with us. A compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a, a primitive tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. 
He has had his medical equipment flown in. He has correctly diagnosed the problem, and the antibiotics are prepared and available. He is independently wealthy and has no need of any kind of financial compensation. But as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. Finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive the care being freely provided. What does the doctor feel? Joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came. Jesus has come for you. So will you respond to him? Will you come to him for the help, the hope, and the healing that only Jesus can bring? See, the reality is is you and I face a collection of enemies as well, far worse than Assyria or in Israel or even in Assyria. We face the enemies of sin and death. And there is no escape. And there is no way that on our own that we can defeat these destructive enemies, certainly not on our own. And so understand, political crises will come and go. Wars will come and go, and rumors of wars, to quote the scripture, will come and go. But God sent his only son to defeat the crisis of eternal death, to give us the chance of eternal life, and not just life alone, but life with him. Understand that the message of the gospel, the message of Christmas, is that God became alone so that you wouldn't have to be alone anymore. The Father sent the Son. Sent Him to come and do what? Go to the beach. Grab a holiday. God sent the Son to die. He sent Him to die to be separated. God sent Jesus to be alone. That's why on the cross, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not as if he doesn't know the answer. He's expressing to us the grief of being separated from the Father. He knows what's coming, but he knows what's coming because earlier in the garden, praying to God the Father, he said, not my will, but yours be done. I know that you are sending me to save your people and I will go. Do not be mistaken. It was not a painless experience for Jesus. He went, he suffered, he died, was separated from the Father so that you would no longer suffer so that you would not experience spiritual death, that when you die, you might immediately be in the presence of King Jesus, that you can be saved. Jesus came, left his Father in heaven, left his throne in heaven to stoop down and enter into broken humanity, knowing that his creation would reject him, knowing that his people would say, no, I don't want you, I don't need you. But there is a faithful remnant that by God's grace that there are many who will say, yes, Jesus, I need you. Yes, Jesus, save me. Yes, Jesus, help me. I recognize that you have offered the greatest love of all time, that you would give up everything so that I can have and inherit everything. Jesus took your guilt so that you could regain innocence. Jesus became alone so that you could be with him. As God is not distant, as so many of us would believe, the satanic lie that I'm alone, God is so far away, God doesn't have time for me, he's not interested in me, my sins are so great, he would never come near to me. No, 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 the Bible says that God is present. The Bible says that God is personal. 
that he cares for you, that he is near, and that you are not alone. That means this, you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to earn God's favor on your own. You don't have to solve the problem of your sin alone. You don't have to find happiness or hope on your own. You don't have to deal with the griefs and the hurts in your life alone. Emmanuel, God is with you. God is with us. Hear Jesus' heart in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Come to me, says Jesus, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I don't know about you, I woke up this morning, I could use some additional rest. He's not talking about 20 extra minutes and hitting the snooze button. He's talking about a real rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you. It's a non-yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dane Ortland again, speaking about this very passage, the whole book reflects on this incredible passage and promise from Jesus, describing who he is and his heart for you. He says this in verse 19, or, or pages 19 and 21, gentle meaning meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The point is say, in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory, no one has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. The minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply open yourself up to him. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. No payment required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is gift, not transaction. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. Whether you are actively working hard to crowbar your life into smoothness, labor, or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside of your control, heavy laden, Jesus Christ's desire that you find rest, that you come in out of the storm, outstrips even your own. No matter how much you want help, he wants it for you more. He is gentle and lowly. He has come to you. Will you receive him? Let's pray together.